0: Good morning, everybody. Today, we're going to be in Exodus 4, but before we actually jump into Exodus 4, I want to just recap chapter 3 just really quickly, because chapter 4 is a direct continuation of chapter 3, and basically it's the same conversation, so it'll be hard jumping in halfway through after we've had like probably four weeks off, so I thought we'd just do a quick recap. So I'll just pray. Father, thank you for this awesome passage that we're looking at today. And Lord, it's all about our calling. It's all about you speaking to us and you leading us and us having the faith to follow and to depend on you for what you ask us to do in our lives. So help us to learn from what we're going to read today in Jesus' name. So in the first four verses of chapter three, Moses sees a burning bush and one of the things we learnt was God can take an insignificant bush, ignite it and turn it into a miracle. Now there's two ways of looking at this, like applications. Some see the burning bush as a picture of the nation of Israel. They are God's light in the world, persecuted but not consumed. Another illustration or application of the burning bush could be that the burning bush is a picture of what God had planned for Moses. He was the weak bush, just a thorn bush, But God was the empowering fire, and with God's help, Moses could accomplish anything. And that's the same for us. We're just an ordinary bush, but with God's power, we can do anything that he asks us to do. Then verses 5 to 10, Moses hears from God. He speaks to Moses and assured him that he was the God of his fathers and that he felt the suffering of the Jews in Egypt. He was now ready to deliver them out of Egypt and lead them into the Promised Land, and Moses would be his chosen Leader, God's statement, "Behold, I will send you," must have astonished Moses. Why would God choose a failure? That's what Moses thought he was. And from there, Moses responds to God, and there's this dialogue going backwards and forwards. And Moses gives five reasons why he couldn't accept God's call. In chapter three, verses eleven and twelve, Moses, in essence, says, "I'm a nobody," but God says. I will be with you. So what Moses thought of himself or what others thought of Moses really wasn't important. God had spoken and that was all Moses needed for assurance that he was a right man for the job. So when we look at ourselves, instead of looking by faith to the Lord, we doubt, but we need to look with faith to the Lord and understand that if he is with us, that's all we need that promise that God will be with us is all the assurance God's servants need in order to succeed. And then in verses 13 to 22 in chapter 3, Moses in essence says, I don't know your character. I want to know more about who you are. What does your name mean? What kind of God are you? And here we have the I am that I am. God reveals that he is the self-existent one who always was, always is, and always will be. The faithful and dependable God who calls himself I am. And we also covered Previously, Jesus took the name I am and completed it. He added more information. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine, and so on. The next three, I'll just quickly go through them before we jump into chapter four. His next excuse was, or his next debate with God, his next line was, the elders won't believe me. And we can kind of turn that around and said, I don't believe that they're going to believe <laughs> that I'm going to be successful. And then God gave him three signs. And said, we'll look at what those signs are. And then his next excuse was in, in chapter 4, verses 10 to 12. He says, I'm not a fluent speaker. So basically Moses completely misses the message of God's name and God's miraculous power. I am is all that we need in every circumstance of life. And it's foolish for us to argue, I am not. Because it doesn't matter, because God is, I am. So Moses was making the mistake of looking at himself instead of looking to God. The same God he made us is able to use us, and the gifts and abilities he's given us to accomplish a task that he assigns to us. And his last excuse was, somebody else can do it better. That's verses 13 to 17, and that might be as far as we get today. So basically he's saying, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. <laughs> you ever know, said that to God before? I don't want to speak to this person, it's too scary. They might call me a name. They might laugh at me if I share my faith with them. Send someone else. Do I have to be the parent of this child? Send someone else. (laughs) Most of us understand that attitude because we've made the same mistake. Remember that if God isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. We need to obey. So, let's jump into the chapter. We're going to read verses 1 to 17, and then we'll dig in. So, Exodus chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom, or his chest. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it, It out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, Here's his next excuse. O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, next excuse, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth, and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. So, here's Moses, the very reluctant servant. So, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Well... In verse 13 of chapter 3, God had told Moses that the people would listen to him. So this is a direct contradiction to what God has said. So we know that Moses is a humble man, but this is not humility. Okay, Moses is crossing the line. He's arguing with God multiple times. This can't be. It's not going to happen. You've got the wrong guy. So we'll look at humility in a minute. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A rod. To those who say, I can't be used, if I try to serve in some way, the people won't respond. If I try to be used at work or in Sunday school, in my neighborhood or in my family, no one will listen. If I try to pray with my wife, she won't receive that from me. That's for other guys, not me. Well, God gives us the same tools He gives to Moses. The first He gives us is ability. So He asks us, What's in our hand? Moses said, I've got a shepherd's rod. And God says, well, that's what I'll use. He said to Paul, what's in your hand? A pen. I'm a scholar. Well, I'll use that, said God. You will write a great portion of my word. What's in your hand, Peter? A net. I'm a fisherman. Well, I'll use that, said God. You'll be a fisher of men and haul people into the kingdom. So whatever God has gifted us with, whatever we have in our hand, we can use it to serve God. We have gifts. We have talents. And God will use what he's given us for his glory. All we need to do is just give it over to him, which we're going to learn about in this next verse. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. So you may be talking about the rod, okay, our occupation, what we do, who we are. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. So if we're an accountant, a carpenter, a teacher, a surgeon, it doesn't matter. God says, throw down your occupation. Throw, this is our application. Throw down your profession and see what it is in and of itself. It's a snake. If we allow our occupation to dominate us, it will destroy us. Okay, It will bite us. If we're caught up in it, if we're depending on it, it will bite us. And it's the same with ministry, too. Even the ministry, any kind of church ministry, it can can be a snake. It can bite us if we're not letting go of it. So God wants us to have an empty hand. It's as if at the outset of this huge ministry, which God is calling Moses to, God says, I must be your passion, not service for me, not your talents or abilities, not your spiritual gifts. Nothing must take the place of an open hand, an open heart to embrace me personally. Have you ever had a a time in your life when you've had to lay something down, when you've been involved in something and you've had to give it up? It could be music, it could be a a job, it could be something you, you love, I've had to lay down a few things. I've had to lay down, uh, I had to sell my horse once. That was a hard thing to do, give up endurance riding. To go to Bible college, and I've had to give up basketball. Again, before I went to Bible college, I was playing twice a week. One of the things I love doing. Those are some of the things I've had to lay down. But now, God's given it back, both the horses and the basketball, and I'm using them for God's glory. So I'm able to use that as part of my teaching. I'm able to meet people in the community and share my faith with those people so they can get to know me on the basketball court and off the basketball court as the years go by. So when we give things to God, we say, look, I'm willing to give all these things up for you. Then God can give it back to us. And we realize that once we give it up, we realize that we don't need it. We realize that we can be happy without it. We realize that God is actually all we need, and it's not looking for happiness from that thing, whatever it is, we're just looking for more intimacy with God. Okay, then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Now, who's ever picked up a snake? Would you pick it up by the head or by the tail? By the head, it's much safer. Okay. So if you're going to pick up a snake, you always grab by the head because otherwise, if you pick up by the tail, you know it spins around and bites you. But God is making a point here. He's saying, grab it by the tail. It's not going to be the boss anymore. Okay. There's a verse in the Bible that says, when it says, talk about the blessing and the cursings, uh, he says that you will be the head and not the tail. You'll be the most important, and the other nations will be the tail. But then in the cursings, it says, you will be the tail and they will be the head. In other words, they will be dominant and you will be following. So the occupation and whatever is important in our lives will no longer be the head, it will be the tail. We will be in control. It will serve us and we won't be serving it. We'll be using it for God's glory. Uh, verse 6, Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And this is where it becomes leprous and then puts it back in and it comes out clean. So, Leprosy is a type of sin in Scripture. And we can all use this in my application here is: This is our testimony. God has done something in each of our lives. If we are a Christian, we have been saved. We've been born again. Our testimony is powerful and it can't be denied. People can't say, no, that's not true, because it's true. It's, it's your life. It's your story. You know They can't deny that. So, Share your testimony. And when you share your testimony, incorporate the gospel into your testimony. I was talking to a guy on the way home from the horse training that I was going to last week, and I'd become friends with this guy. And I've just felt a little bit uneasy about going straight into the good person test and, you know, saying, Are you a good person? And I just felt uneasy about that. So I was just praying. And eventually I just said to her after a minute's silence, I said, "Um, is it okay if I just share some of my testimony, some of my story? And I shared a bit about my childhood, but after about probably a minute, I switched into how I found Jesus. I said, you know, I was reading the Bible and I realized that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I realized that the Bible says that you should not lie. And I realized that I'd lied and therefore I'm a liar. I also read that the Bible says that we should not steal. Well, I realized I've stolen a few things. That makes me a thief. And I went through a few more of the Ten Commandments. And then I said, the Bible also says that when Judgment Day comes, if I've broken all those commandments, I'm going to be guilty. And I realized that I'd have to go to hell because the penalty of sin is death. And I just continued my testimony like that and finally shared about Jesus and asked him, So what about you? And he says, Oh oh I am as guilty as hell or something like that, you know. People so got these phrases they use. But then he tried to justify himself and, and whatever, so I had to say, you know what? It doesn't matter how many good things you've done, if you get done for speeding or something like that, the the policeman's not gonna say, Oh, you know, you put out the, the rubbish bin for your, your neighbor this week, so we'll let the fine off. You know, <laughs> No, you just have to pay that fine. It doesn't matter whether you're a good or a bad person. So, verse 9. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you should take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So, authority. So we can have authority Okay, We can have, not over people, but to tell people about their eternal destiny. Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus says to the woman, if you keep drinking this water, you will thirst again. Okay, You will eventually die. Well, the water in the Nile River was sustaining the people, but the people would eventually die. Moses was kind of showing them that if they kept on drinking this water, if they kept on living their way, they would die. So this is an application for us. We need to tell people that if they keep on drinking the water they're drinking, the water in Egypt, they're going to die. It's going to turn to blood. They can't drink it. Okay, It'll lead to death. It cannot satisfy. But if you drink of Jesus, the water of life, you will never thirst again. So it's really important to get to the bottom of or get to the heart of the message. You've got to get to the cross. The people are dead but through Jesus they can be made alive. And verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So he may have had a speech impediment or something like that. I'm not sure. So the Lord said to him, "Who?" Has, I love this verse, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord, Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Now, a little story here. One of the great evangelists of all time and the founder of YMCA, D.L. Moody, was very impacting but not very polished. A woman came up to him after one service and said, Mr. Moody, I noticed in your message that you made 18 grammatical mistakes. Ma'am, Moody replied, I'm using all the grammar I got for the Lord. What are you doing with yours? (laughs) God loves to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He loves to use those who stutter spiritually, those who don't have perhaps the greatest skills or the most talent because that way he gets the glory. And if you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26, read a few verses from here. I think this is really important that God would use a guy who possibly had a speech impediment to be his spokesman. I think this is a a good message for us that we don't need to be well-polished. We don't need to be highly talented or highly skilled for God to use us because, as it said before, if God is with us, that's all we need. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world, to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base or humble things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So what mentioned pride and humility before and uh, it kind of fits in here with Moses saying, oh, I'm not good enough. Is that pride or is that humility? What do you think? If we go to God and say, you call me to do this, you call me to speak to this person, you called me to... Become involved in this ministry, but I don't want to do it. I don't think I can. Is that pride or is that humility? Well, Wheersby says Was Moses manifesting an attitude of pride or true humility? Forty years before, he felt perfectly adequate to face the enemy and to act on behalf of his people, people of Israel. But now he's backing off and professing himself to be a worthless failure. But humility isn't thinking poorly of ourselves. It's simply not thinking of ourselves at all, but making God everything. The humble servant thinks only of God's will and God's glory, not his or her own inadequacy, success, or failure. Moses was clothing his pride and unbelief in a hollow confession of weakness. So it's pretty important that we understand that. It's a key phrase in here. Humility isn't thinking poorly of ourselves. It's simply not thinking of ourselves at all, but making God everything. We don't think about our own inadequacy, success or failure. We just think about God's glory, and what God can do, because he's God. Verse 13, Moses continues, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So again, these excuses just keep on coming. Forty years earlier, Moses was an eager beaver. Now he's a whole different man. He's in a different place. I'm not your man. I'm not the guy who can do this job. Send someone more qualified than I am. Someone more capable than I am. Someone worthier than I am. In other words, someone else can do this better. Now, there's a problem in the church. This is just one example. Where pastors send people on for counselling because they don't think they're qualified. Okay? And so they send them to a Christian counsellor who basically, most of the time, use Christianese to implement worldly counsel. They just rename some of the things and it's basically worldly counsel with some Christian words put in it. So, this is a good example of pastors giving up something that God has called them to do, which is to counsel people. And they're saying, someone someone else can do this better than me. I don't want to do this. And so this is an excuse that a lot of people use. And we do it too. We can do this, you know. God has called us to raise our children. A lot of people are thinking that, oh, the school could do that better than me. They leave it to somebody else to, for the most part, raise their kids. That's... Um, I'm not saying pointing the finger at anyone here, but I'm looking in the the big picture that what's going on in the world. And uh, as parents, a lot of people are kind of relying on other things and other people to raise their kids. They're saying, "Oh, they're better than me." I'm not like someone else can do this better. What we're seeing here is a lack of faith on Moses' part. Sure, he's got an accurate view of himself that he's not capable of doing what God has called him to do. But the problem here is that Moses is doubting God's ability to work through him. He's doubting God's power, God's ability to do what he said. And that happens quite a few times in Scripture. I won't go through any of it, but God's reply is usually something like this. Has the arm of the Lord been shortened, or is there anything too hard for the Lord, or something similar like that? So God will reply, is there anything that I cannot do? When we reply, well, I don't know, I can't do that. And God says, well, is there anything I can't do? Because I'm the one who's going to be doing the work. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. So here we have God being angry at Moses. Why was God angry with Moses, do you think? He's doubting his call. He, he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. He, God's calling him and he's refusing what happens, how do we feel inside when God is angry with us? God is, God's anger is kindled towards us. Okay? I'm not saying he doesn't love us, but we're being disrespectful, disobedient children, and God is disciplining us. How do we feel? Well, we might feel empty. We might feel that our relationship with God is dry. We might feel that burnt out, churches become a drag, I don't have a desire to pray, spiritual things I don't have no interest in anymore because we're out of touch with God. We're refusing to be in His will. And it's all because of doubt. Doubt is simply a lack of faith, and unbelief is a serious sin. Soon we're going to read about an entire generation of Israelites, you know, close to 2-3 million people, who wandered around for 40 years and died in the wilderness because of unbelief. They didn't believe that God could overcome the giants in the land. And they end up not going in there. And they spent their lives miserable, walking through a harsh wilderness. You don't want to end up like that. Take on what God has called you to do. Be who the person God wants you to be. The second part of verse 14, and he said... Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. Can you hear a bit of um, sarcasm in there? I imagine I can. I don't know if it's like that or not. I haven't read the Hebrew. I can't read Hebrew. But I can imagine that God is a little bit narky here. It's just, it's just said that God's anger is kindled. <clears throat> Maybe I'm just reading it into it. Verse 15, Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth, etc. So, Even though the Lord is angry with Moses, he doesn't give up on Moses. And I think here we see a picture of God's faithfulness to us and his mercy towards us and his graciousness towards us. He accommodates Moses' doubt and his weakness, and he still uses Moses anyway. And he he just includes Aaron into the plan. It's interesting that later on, guess what? Moses becomes a great orator. He actually speaks to Pharaoh. He gives these awesome speeches and and stuff in in the book of Deuteronomy and stuff like that. And so Moses overcomes his doubt in the end. But there's a question I would like to ask now. Was it a good thing that God allowed Aaron to be the spokesman for Moses? From Moses' point of view, was it a good thing that Aaron was the spokesman for Moses? Well, what did Aaron do when Moses was up on the mountain? Yeah, so Aaron was the one who facilitated the making of the golden calf. Also in Numbers 12, Aaron and his sister Miriam were critical of Moses and his wife and brought trouble to the camp. So Moses got what he wanted. He wanted someone who could speak better to help him. He didn't need it, but he wanted it, and he kept on pushing and pushing. He says, I'm not doing it until you give me someone who can speak better. And God gives him someone who can speak better. But guess what? It turns out that it's not such a good thing. Okay. When God in his anger gives us what we selfishly want, when we refuse to be satisfied with what he's already given us, then that gift rarely turns out to be a blessing. Now here's two examples. In Numbers chapter 11, the people want meat. They say, we've got this manna, we're sick of this manna. We want some meat, so God sends quail, and they gather up so much quail, it's you know, is mind boggling. It's like kilos and kilos and kilos of it. Verse thirty three, Num- Numbers eleven says, "But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague." Another example is Israel wanting a king. God says, "I'm your king," and Israel said, "No, we want our own physical human king." Hosea 13.11 I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. It wasn't really God's will that Israel had a king. So one of the most painful judgments God can send is to let his people have their own way. Sometimes when we give our kids their own way, it's a good lesson for them, isn't it? We need to trust God that what we have now is what we need now and not keep wanting more. The world we live in is constantly telling us that we need more, that to be fulfilled and complete, we need that boyfriend, that new car, more money to be popular and accepted, especially on social media. The younger generation, maybe some of the older ones now, if they're not getting lots of hits or likes or whatever you call it, I don't use it, so I don't know, then they feel like they're not accepted and they feel depressed. So the truth is that anything that we get that isn't God's perfect will for us will only distract us from our relationship with God and will harm us in the end. And as I said before, subsequent events prove that Moses was very capable of speaking God's words with mighty power, both to his own people and to the king of Egypt. So the lesson is plain. God knows us better than we know ourselves. We must trust him and obey what he tells us to do. When we tell God our weaknesses, we aren't sharing anything he doesn't already know. It's not like God calls Moses and Moses reminds God, oh, I've got a speech impediment, and God says, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. No. God already knew, and the reason God is using Moses is because he probably did have a speech impediment. He wanted a guy with a speech impediment to be his spokesman. So the power and the glory goes to God, or the power is of God and the glory goes to God. Someone said, the will of God will never lead you where the power of God can't enable you. So walk by faith in his promises. Okay, we can quickly jump into the next section. So Moses goes to Egypt. So verse 18 to verse 20. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So here we see Moses going to Jethro and asking Jethro's permission for him to go back to Egypt. He's an 80-year-old man. And he's going to his father-in-law and saying, is it okay with you if I go back to Egypt? doesn't say why. He doesn't boast about his, I had a vision from God, or I I met with God. Not the vision, I met with God. This a burning bush, it was incredible. He just says, is it okay with you if I go back to Egypt and return to my brethren who who are in Egypt and see whether they're still alive? And Jethro just says, go in peace. So this is talking about his humility, his meekness, okay? God has been working on Moses for 40 years to make him humble and contrite. His self-righteousness and self-confidence are gone, broken, ground to powder, crushed. That's what contrite means. And in its place is a growing God reliance and a simple humble dependence upon God and his strength. Now the next verse is interesting. The Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. So, Moses outlived the men who are out to get him. That includes Pharaoh and all the probably high-ranking officials that were alive at the time. Now for us, application here, there will be people who are out to get us. Someone or some group who doesn't like us. Okay, Someone who wants to destroy you or me. Now here's what we do. We just outlive them. Not that we're literally going to live longer, okay? We might think, oh, this person thinks this about me, or this guy's gossiping about me, and, and they're saying these nasty things about me. This guy's bullying me, you know. Every time I try and do this thing, that they, they just, you know, are putting pressure on me and making life hard. But guess what? Over the years, I've learned that if I just keep doing what God has called me to do, I outlive them because they move on. God eventually takes them away. And we just keep on doing what God wants. And we've outlived them, so to speak, because they've disappeared. And so those trials are only for a season. So we don't have to worry too much about them. It says in Matthew 7.20, By their fruit you shall know them, Jesus said. The fruit of the Spirit produced in your life, the fruit born in your ministry, in your family, in your walk with the Lord personally, is undeniable irrefutable, and will outlive any criticism unfairly held against you. So when people mock you, ridicule you, criticize you, falsely accuse you, don't worry about that. God will vindicate you in the end. It's not pleasant to go through, but in my experience, anything that's falsely accused, eventually will will fall away. Let's stop there. So what have you learnt today? We can outlive those who are wanting to hurt us. God will protect us. When we want things really, really badly, God will often give us what we want, but it's not good for us, and we'll find out the hard way that it's not good for us. And there was those five things that Moses said, his excuses, and they were, I'm a nobody, and God's answer, I'll be with you. And I don't really know you that much. Uh, I I want to know your character. And God reveals himself to Moses. The elders won't believe me. Translate, I don't believe you. Uh, Four, I'm not a fluent speaker. Well, it doesn't matter. It's God who's going to do it. It's God's power, not yours. And somebody else can do it better. No. If God's chosen you, you're the best person for the job. Lord, help us not to make excuses. Lord, when you called us to do something difficult, when you called us to a ministry, when you called us to Lord, whatever it is. It it, it could be a difficult um, friendship, it could be a difficult employment, it could be um, a physical thing we're going through, it could be financial. Lord, there's just so many things, that trials and tribulations and persecutions that we can go through. Lord, help us to realize that we are the best person for the job because you've chosen us for that job. In your Mind, in your heart, you've chosen us to be the father or the mother of these kids. You've chosen us to work in that workplace. You've chosen us to be where you want us to be. So help us not to doubt. Help us to have faith and help us to put our trust in you and to realize that it's not about us at all, but it's all about your power working through us. So we just pray you remind us of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.